Welcome to the Change Africa podcast, where we bring you stories of inspiring individuals and thought leaders leading Africa's transformation. I'm your host, Isaac Kojodeno Abwa, and together with my co-host, Daniel Merki, we'll be exploring diverse perspectives, challenges, and opportunities for growth and development on the continent every week. Each episode, we delve into a different aspect of African life, featuring knowledgeable and engaging guests who provide unique insights and a fresh perspective on the issues affecting the continent across a wide range of topics from economics to culture and social issues. So whether you're already well-versed in African affairs or you're just starting to explore this fascinating and complex part of the world, the Change Africa podcast is an excellent resource for you. Sit back and enjoy another thought-provoking discussion that will inform and challenge you to expand your understanding of Africa. Akuno Cook is the visionary CEO and founder of Nest Narrative Africa, a media production company telling African stories for global impact. Akuno recently led Africa policy at the State Department as Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for African Affairs. She was also the inaugural executive director of the Black Economic Alliance and has successfully led initiatives in the private, public, and nonprofit sectors. The Nigerian-American diplomat, lawyer, and strategist now brings her a multi-sector track record of success and passion to the mission of producing entertaining and socially impactful African stories for global audiences. Akuna is a proud graduate of Howard University and holds a master's degree from Harvard University and a law degree from Yale Law School. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Akuna Cook on the Change Africa podcast. Hi, Isaac. Hi, Daniel. It's wonderful to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. I like the name Next Narrative Africa because Africa's narrative for a very long time has been enshrined in a lot of doubt and a lot of perceptions that are not reflective of its realities. So for me, what I'm interested in, first of all, is why you chose the name Next Narrative Africa. So I... I think it's probably best to start with why we started the company, um, which really started with two things. So um, as you mentioned, my background is in the policy world. Um, I, after getting degrees and all of that, I started my career at the State Department and I worked on economic and political development, mostly in Africa, although I did some work in the Middle East and China as well. And then after I left that, I I was a career foreign service officer for 10 years and then went to law school. And then from there, practiced law for a bit before helping to start the Black Economic Alliance. And so throughout my career, I have worked on issues related to the economic and political progress, but really the economic progress of people of African descent. And so... When I went back into government with the Biden administration, I was was fortunate enough to be uh, one of the political appointees that President Biden uh, brought in to the administration. And I went back to my old home at the State Department, was working on Africa issues. And so many things had changed in the world from in the 10 years that I was gone from government. We were now working on an Africa that was clearly part of really the global solutions of all of the challenges we were facing at the time. And if you recall, this was 2021 when we're in the middle of a global pandemic and we still are, but it was really front and center then. We were dealing with 
climate crisis, which we're still dealing with, democracy crises around the world, which we're still <laughs> dealing with, and really a fluctuating economic systems as we're trying to figure out how we create more inclusive economic environments and inclusive economic systems. And on top of dealing with the racial issues and the gender issues and all of these real global challenges. And I think what had happened is that we had spent a few years realizing that no one country had a monopoly on answers and solutions. And so Africa, of course, had to be a part of the solution. But for me, having done this work of how do we get more investment into Africa? How do we get more investment into Black-owned businesses? What it always what I had always understood was that the narrative that surrounds Africa and people of African descent has always been really negative, especially in the media, which is frankly how most people come to know about Africa or people of African descent is through what they see in the media. And studies have shown that that narrative and those images are negative by a ratio of two to one. And so when you are trying to convince somebody to visit, let alone invest, in Africa or to invest in black women owned businesses. You are up against not just the facts, right? And you're not up just up against facts. You are up against the images and ideas and the narrative that those people have about those groups of people and about those places. And as a policymaker, I knew that we weren't always strategic in thinking about how do you deal with narrative change. And so that was the inspiration uh, along with the fact that we were in this you know, global renaissance about African content, music and fashion and television and film and stories were coming to the global stage. And so you know, my partner and I really saw an opportunity to leverage what was happening on the business side of things with how, thinking through how can we reshape these industries? How can we reshape the business of content in a way that benefits and tells a new story about Africa and about Black people globally. So that's why we started it. Next Narrative Africa is really that, that there's a next narrative, that narrative needs to be told, and we intend to do our part to tell it. That's quite an inspiring mission of helping to retell Africa's story. And I'm quite excited also about that because there was a lot of adjoining activities that are happening all over the continent that shows that this is truly the time to take that next step to shift the narrative. And a lot of these adjoining initiatives will make sure that that happens. I was at a dinner recently and there were a couple of people who, some of which were surgeons, etc., people who have done well in their careers, essentially, and they are British. And one of them was asking me about how Rwanda is still doing. The image of Rwanda in his mind that motivated the question was all of the genocide and post-genocide images that he probably saw. And when I told him that, wow, Rwanda is now the conference center of Africa, every big conference happens that he couldn't believe it. And I think that is the foundation that bad news tends to travel very fast. Not so much the good news. And what I'm also interested in, I'm going to zoom back into your past a little bit, is how you're using entertainment and particularly why you're using entertainment as that route to reshape the world's reimagination of what Africa is. 
I do understand the big news and waves that Afrobeats is having. How do you want to leverage that particularly to make sure that people understand the current state of Africa and embrace it so that they can make that next step to invest, to come back, even as African-American natives who need to come back and and, um, experience where they come from, but also bring their skilled talents, potentially other investments to rebuild Africa? Well, I think the the Rwanda example you just shared is a perfect one to illustrate. I am almost sure that if you were to ask anyone what is the one film or piece of art that they know about Rwanda, they're going to talk about Hotel Rwanda, which is a film about the genocide, right? And so you would be hard-pressed to say, okay, well, what film or piece of art or something that has traveled talks about the Rwanda that is the conference center of Africa. None. And most people get their information from film, media, television, news, right? That is how we get information because most people are not have ever gone to Rwanda. Frankly, I've never been to Rwanda myself, right? <laughs> right? So I, I, you know, and I work on Africa and all of that, but I haven't been to every African country. So what I know about Rwanda is what I'm going to see, you know, in the media. That's why it's important. That's why it's so strategic. And that is why there have been so many investments here in the United States in Hollywood and making sure that Hollywood represents America and really the best parts of America, all right? Because for people who've actually been to the United States and you know that it doesn't all look like, you know, downtown Manhattan or, you know, Los Angeles or, you know, Malibu, you know, like that's not all it is, but that's what people know about the United States because that's what has been in the, in popular culture. And so because we are now in this place where, popular culture through music, through uh, television and film and fashion, because there is now a global awakening that, oh, there's, you know, the inspirations always come from Africa, but now you have so many different media for getting the story out, people are paying attention. And I think because of that, it would be really smart and strategic for us to make the kinds of investments we need to make to ensure that those that the images that people now see are diverse and reflect uh, the Africa we want people to see. So I know that Nest Narrative is about storytelling, it's about media, entertainment, but your career historically has been about policy. What's the intersection personally between that? How do you marry the policy background and your interest in media? Were you always a secret DJ we didn't know about? <laughs> or did you have some um, yearning interest to be part of that? Because I understand at some foundational level, you could actually make a case for how policy is also storytelling. But maybe you want to clarify that, how you mirror those passions and how maybe that goes back into something you had done in the past. Well, the funny part is that in some ways, I mean, first and foremost, I'm a fan, right? So I'm a fan of the music. I'm a fan of TV and film. I'm a fan of the arts. But when I was younger, I actually wanted to go into the performing arts. 
it didn't seem like something that was accessible to me. First generation, uh, Nigerian American, you know, we didn't grow up knowing. So you have no chance. We, you have no This is, you know, years ago. Now that's much better where you have like parents encouraging their kids to like pursue the arts, but not then. But I've always had a passion for it. And, you know, from, you know, writing to, you know, producing. <laughs> at a very small scale, getting my siblings to like act out plays that I came up with and all those kinds of things. And then I actually went to a performing arts uh, school. Before for high school, I, I went to a performing arts school and then like by high school, I was like, okay, my parents were like, okay, like really, what are you going to do? So it's always been there. But I think from a strategic point of view, when I came back into the administration and saw that this particularly content wasn't just good business, right? But this is a strategic business. And we understood it because, as I mentioned, we understood how Hollywood had been such a powerful tool of diplomacy and spreading certain ideas that we want to see. And so we know how powerful media is. And it was really my partner, Emmanuel Uduma, who is a television and film producer in Nigeria and had done sort of narrative shifting work around particular social issues surrounding sexual health, HIV AIDS prevention. And so we thought there are so many different issues, as I mentioned, all these challenges that we're facing, whether they be in health, whether they be in climate, we thought that we could sort of bring our backgrounds together and start to create an ecosystem really to not only produce narrative shifting content ourselves, but to also allow for other storytellers who have stories that center Africa and Africans and telling these sorts of stories about us as innovators and, and as the sources of solutions to these kinds of global challenges and doing it in an entertaining way, because obviously, because it's still a business, you still need people to show up. And that we could do that through our content, through the events that we curate and put together, and through building a fund. And so that's really how it came together was we're in this moment, Afrobeats, Amapiano is ascendant, Nollywood is ascendant. There's so much passion and desire in not only Nigeria, but so many African countries. You know, we just had the president of Botswana at the Apollo Theater talking about what they're doing in the creative industries. So there's so much of this desire for Africa to really sort of take its place in terms of leading content and media creation. And so that's really what it came from. Like there were multiple reasons to do it. Excellent. Another thing to me also is that I know when I look at the thematics and maybe you want to talk about the thematics and the vision of Nest Narrative Africa First, immediately it doesn't seem like you're working to help in the policy aspect of the film industry at large, but we've had conversations on the Change Africa podcast and I think that's one of the things that I have. it does. It opens our minds to some of the gaps. We can see that not only, for example, do we need funding do we need support and skill set actually when it comes to policy across a pan-african film industry perspective then there is a lot more work to be done to make sure that we can create standards that allow for film to cross borders etc have you thought about that 
Yeah, no, it's a great observation. It doesn't immediately look like we're doing policy. And I think maybe that's the point because we kind of look at our company as uh, wanting to get really, really good at what, what I kind of say, putting the medicine in the applesauce, right? So we want, you know, we want people to show up and be entertained, but we also want them to learn something and to be able to go and reflect and put whatever we're trying to tell them in their own language. On the policy front, it's frankly not as interesting for me to like tell you all the ways that our intellectual property regime needs to be changed to make it more, you know, hospitable for creatives, or to talk about tax incentive regimes that need to be harmonized across the continent, or about the funding mechanisms that make it really difficult if you're not already plugged in for you to be able to tell disruptive kinds of stories. I know all those things, but what I want people to to walk away is having seen it be done, right? It's more important for us to focus our energy. Okay, if we wanna tell this particular kind of story or produce this particular kind of content, rather than me getting up on a stage somewhere and rattling off all the 10 point you know, strategic reasons why, I'm just gonna go and make the content. And then somebody else who's got content that's, you know, that they wanna tell are gonna say, okay, well, this is a way to do it. I know that it will be, you know, much easier for me and our company to operate if we had the kinds of tax incentives that exist in, for example, Atlanta, Montana, all these other places that have done this. And I can have those conversations because I'm fortunate enough to have some of those access, but not every content creator musician is going to be having those kinds of conversations because they're going to be focused on their art and creating. So there's room for everyone in the ecosystem to focus on the policy, to focus on the investment and financing part, to focus on the actual creation of the art and the production of those art. There's room for everyone and we all need to be together, which is a big piece of why we do the events because we want people to come and be entertained and whether they're coming to see a great show or a great concert or whatever it is, they're still also coming away with a different perspective on some of these important policy issues. I think that if anyone would know how to maneuver policy and make it work, you have definitely the CV to show it. And so if anyone is also telling you that the better way, or well, the more visible way to show proof of potential is to do it. I think you would know. So I'm going to just um, look at your CV and say, she knows what she's talking about. But no, I think I agree with you because policy too takes time. Um, a lot of policy work has to go through a lot of conversations, roundtables, and then revisions, revisions, revisions. And then, you know, people have to eventually accept it and whether that even becomes law and how applicable that might eventually be in the space may take a decade, maybe less. But it's also credibility, right? I mean, when I started this, and still, when I tell people, oh, I'm producing, they're kind of like, producing? What do you know about that? Like, what, how are you, know, just, and I understand the skepticism, right? Because, I mean, it's not every day that, you know, a lawyer, you know, diplomat is like, oh, I'm going to go make TV and film and, and have people take that seriously. But I do have always a uh, a policymaker's mind. So as I'm building my company and building our production company, I know what the stumbling blocks that I'm coming across that are policy related. 
And because I can speak policy and now I'm now have the language to understand, okay, this is how this actually translates to a filmmaker or someone who's in music or who's somebody who's a creative, right? It builds the credibility for us to be able to say, actually, we're advocating for certain policies because we know from experience that this is actually going to be helpful. Because a lot of times having been a policymaker, you, you know, you have some tangential, you know, maybe you've read some reports or you've, you know, you've done some consultations, but you don't really know until you've done it yourself, right? You don't really know the challenges that you're going to face until you face those challenges and figured out, okay, if this policy was tweaked this way, or maybe this entire regime, maybe the way we thought about this entire, you know, regime, this policy regime is completely wrong and it's completely disconnected from the reality of what an artist is going to face. You don't really know that. And so I think part of it is just building the credibility. And my partner and I are both very humble about the fact that we know what we know, but there's a whole lot that we don't. And it really does require having partnerships with a lot of different people who have a lot of different perspectives. I mean, even from an age perspective, right? We're trying to tell stories for a continent that's really young and I'm not 20. (laughs) You know, so (laughs) he's not 20 either. So it really just requires a certain sense of curiosity. But that's what I think is the most fun part about this is that it's not we're we're bringing something to the table but we know we're not the whole table we know that there's so many other players that have to be a part of it you know i i I like the honesty and also the reflection of how policymakers might not always know at all especially when they are not embroiled in the daily occurrences of what the industry people do and you are doing that right now i think that's refreshing so let's talk about the three thematics or ways in which you are envisioning to retell Africa's story through Nest Narrative Africa. I think the first one is like to develop and produce narrative shifting content about Africa and the people of African descent. I've had a lot of conversations around people who feel like in America, for, for example, people of Black descent then have not always had the opportunity to have content, both educational and media, that truly tell their origin story or shape their narrative in a way that makes them appreciate their culture. I don't. I would want you to talk about. I've I've not been to America before. I would want you to talk to me about and paint the picture of how the scene looks like, especially from a place that you have lived for a very long time, and how you feel that being able to create these powerful movies that really told the reality of Africa's story and project it in the light that makes the American. Uh, let me let me just interject this into it someone joked the other time that the Ghanaian dream is funny but it's also quite sad is to get on the ship to the Af- american dream the gas Ghanaian dream like eventually the Ghanaian dream will be to travel to america and then pursue the american dream it's just like a the Ghanaian dream is a translation to eventually an american dream so how do we make sure that people both on the continent but also outside the continent are captivated by africa and inspired to want to uphold it and believe in its potential. Like the Americans have done very well. So, yeah. So that that's a really powerful question. And I think for me, the inspiration really just to come, like I told you, I'm a, I'm a fan. I was raised on American television. And all of the ideas that are a part in the fabric of American television, which we know 
is not is it, it, it's it's hostile to to black people, right? Like we we in our in just in the past few years are we're still counting firsts of African Americans, you know, starring in this kind of show and producing and directing. When you go to Hollywood, it's not black people who are even telling a lot of these stories, and those stories those creatives have to fight so hard just to get a little piece of the pie. The media is not black owned. It's not, <laughs> the people who are making decisions are not black. And it's not a surprise then that the stories you see often undermine the sense of self-worth because of the way that black people are presented in popular culture. It's usually reflecting the stereotypes of people who frankly don't have much interaction with actual black people. They have one idea of what black people are like. So you know all the stories, all the women are sassy, uh, they're the side character, uh, the you know, the guy men may be violent because that's you know, there's guy gangs and that's what people know about black people, so it's gotta be drugs or gangs involved. And that's what you're you know, is reflected back to you. And I actually started to realize it because even though I'd been kind of consuming it and, you know, from an academic and um, intellectual way that, you know, TV is not real. And of course, you know, a lot of successful black people who get married and all of these things that they tell you in the media aren't true, but it still gets into your psyche. And I tell the story all the time that it was really um, watching my daughter She's 16 now, but when she was, you know, I think this was probably right when she was like eight or nine and just starting to really consume a little bit more uh, television and, and film. And I just started to notice that, you know, she wanted to have her hair look a certain way of the people that are on TV. And she was suddenly not so comfortable with having her skin be so as dark as it was and all of these ideas that are, that are shaped by consuming media. And it was right around the time um, that I started to watch a lot more Nollywood films. And, you know, when you're watching films that come from Africa that are made by Africans, it's a subtle thing, but it's so powerful that you can, the, the black characters can be anything. They're the heroes and the villains. They're the main characters and the side characters. They're in the families and they're getting married and they're just, they're human. And it is such a small thing, but it is so, um, it is so to the core of who we are as human beings because stories are how we as human beings learn and communicate and shape our ideas about the world. So if you now have this opportunity because you start to see an entire continent getting into the game, if you will, we don't have to replicate all of the bad things that we see in Hollywood. We can make something of our own. And it makes me so sad when I hear that the Ghanaian dream or the Nigerian dream or what insert African country dream is really to go to someplace else because it has, it's almost as if we on the continent have bought the story that they have told us about ourselves, that what we have on the continent isn't good enough. And therefore to have good things, you actually need to go someplace else. When the truth of the matter is that you can have good governance anywhere. You can have a great, you know, advanced, you know, technology everywhere. And so much of it is already on the continent. There's already wealth on the continent. And so for me, this is as much about changing the way we see ourselves as it is about 
the world and what it sees of Africa. Because frankly, I think that the world already knows that Africa has a lot of value, which is why they keep coming there and taking things and people. They already know that there's value there. It's just that in order for us, for them to keep doing that, they have to convince us that there's no value there so that we can give entree to others to be able to have those advantages. And so when I think about the first part of the work that we do, which is to create content that's narrative shifting, it is to put into context, how do you tell a story, for example, about democracy and governance that isn't about everything and everyone and everything in Africa is so corrupt and, you know, you have to have a, 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 you know, corruption is just the way things are. How do you tell a story about a young person who is navigating politics and is doing it from a place of integrity because guess what? There are a lot of young people in Africa who have integrity that wanna change their societies, but maybe they don't have the tools. And so how do you teach civic education in a way that's in an African context? So that's the show that we've been working on for uh, as our first project, but we have several other films that tackle things like you know medical ethics or uh, mental health or climate, right? And tell the stories about Africans may have and do have agency in shaping how a climate sensitive climate forward agenda might be for the rest of the world. We don't have to wait for, you know, Europe or the United States or someone else to come and tell us what we should do about climate. We pro- we have ideas that are you know original to Africa. And so how do we present those things in popular culture and just do the simple disruptive things of showing ourselves as having agency, as showing ourselves as the main characters, as showing ourselves as central to the story, that it doesn't need to be somebody else in the story coming in to make it relatable, that like our stories are relatable too. And so it really is, it really is as simple as that, but it's also as complicated (laughs) as that. No, I like I like the variance in the thematics of the stories that you talked about, climate change, mental health. And I think that's also a gap that I see that how do we really create broad perspective movies that I know we're doing quite well, but we don't have to always tell laugh stories, for example, that things can be a political show about a young person. That's brilliant, right? So that we can also see and envision the African leader who looks like Barack Obama, who is on the continent, and people can say, oh, I want to be like that person, right? Because God knows there are too many American movies <laughs> portraying the president as solving the global world problem. And it's not even solving the American problem. No, it is saving the world. Exactly. And, that, and that's why we all want to come to America, because we have been sold through the media that America is like the source and fountain for all knowledge and you know and it's not true there's genius and innovation among all people so it is really just as simple as why can't we have a show about an african leader that comes up with the you know a solution for some you know world changing of you know like why couldn't we have that right so i think it is just as it's simple, but it's powerful and it's a shift because that's not typically what we see. And I'm not saying, by the way, that we can't have, you know, purely entertaining, you know, content. I'm a fan. I love Real Housewives. Looks like everybody else. I love like, you know, television where I could just kind of shut my brain off. I'm just saying we can also have the content that makes us think and it doesn't have to come from Hollywood. 
it could come from the continent and we can enjoy it just as we enjoy other kinds of, of, of content. I happen to be somebody who comes from a policymaking arena. So this is my lane, but there has to be a lane for all, every kind of story that can be told that's African. I think there's room for that. There's way more room for it. And we don't have to, it's not a one or the other. It's both. And it's both. And, and I like that. The second part of what you're trying to do is to make sure that you can aggregate funding and bring investment to people who are already doing this great work and make sure that they are supported financially um, and given all the necessary resources that they need to make it work, which is, I think, also a very big gap. How are you envisioning how that looks like? Yeah, I mean, that just came out of, like I was saying earlier, you know, we started on this journey and we realized like, oh, this is actually really difficult. <laughs> and it's somewhat easier for us because I, I'm very fortunate to have the network that I have. I, I've got, you know, contacts in philanthropy and contacts in governments and, and in the financial world. And, you know, there are all of these different pieces. But I know that we're, you know, those even if we were pumping out content like every single day, it still wouldn't be enough. We need to create an ecosystem where multiple, multiple, many, many, many next narrative Africa's production studios can exist because there is not just one or two storytellers in Hollywood. You don't get an industry from just having one or two or three or five players. You need many, many kinds of storytellers, many, many kinds of producers telling different stories. But what we can do and what we see as, you know, we, we can do it. And so we will is let's create the fund. Let's bring all of these different players together so that you don't have to have connections in philanthropy and in governments. And, you know, you're, you're, you don't have to have all of that. You can just go to one place if you have a particular kind of story that you want to tell and those kinds of, you know, we've done the work of sort of putting the infrastructure together. So that's what we're attempting to do is let's put the infrastructure together. You have a story that fits into the the lane, you know, of what we're what we're about and we're aligned. Great, we can help you navigate and uh, get the resources, almost sort of like a venture fund would do, right? Is helping you get those stories made, and then hopefully other people will start their own funds to, to fund other Af kinds of African storytelling. Like I said, you are trying to build an ecosystem in an industry that's continent-wide. It's going to take a lot, a lot of people. There are 54 countries, 1.4 billion people. It's going to take a lot of people and a lot of capital to do it. And so we're going to do our small part and hopefully build something that can be a model for others to use. And hopefully other people will build something that can that we can learn from as we're trying to sort of build this industry and reshape it in a way that's going to be impactful for not just Africa, but for the world. I think the ecosystem thinking and the community thinking is very, very crucial, especially knowing that the problem is too big for anyone to solve. And so to disseminate and distribute resources, I think is, is what we need. And I'm happy that you are taking that, that approach to create what I think is like a fund of funds that allows um, you to make sure that whatever network you're having is being distributed. And I think it's great. So you are still in the, in the process of building, but you're also making sure you're giving out. I, I like the story that's come up interestingly about this new Nigerian movie I think you're following. It's called The Black Book. 
uh, I have followed the director on Twitter, and there's a, there are stories coming out of how Nigeria's tech ecosystem, well, the successful founders and venture capital investors of Nigeria's tech ecosystem funded that movie. I think a ticket size of about a million dollars, which is in the context of Africa, a big budget movie. But what I am inspired by is how a small journey of a tech ecosystem that thrives can create a ripple effect to fund other things. And I think that's really what the ecosystem thinking that such that if we succeed as an ecosystem in film, that could fund other creative endeavors because then people are just pitching in little bits of their successes to create a greater one. That's quite, that's quite inspiring. You're absolutely right because that is how you you that's how you it's investment you know in in Hollywood films filmmakers go out and they raise in for investment from you know tech entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs in other places and I love that we are creating that culture and creating those norms in African film as well because you do need people high net worth individuals investors to come in and say we're really going to back a, a producer or a piece of film or art to get it made and the fact that we are now crossing the million dollar barrier or, you know that that roadblock I think we certainly could see films that are making multiples of that in terms of having in terms of budget and then being able to make multiples of that in terms of profit. We have lots of other models around the world to know that it's possible and there's nothing stopping Africa from from having the same kind of success. Obviously, when you talk about film, you have to talk about distribution, um, both on the continent and beyond the continent for people of African descent, because people of African descent are all over the world. There's a huge diaspora community to Africa. How are you thinking about distribution to reach those populations? But I know that it is part of your phraseology as Nest Narrative, the opportunity that exists for Africa to catch on to the internet opportunity of film, but still the present gaps in accessibility how are you thinking about that to you know bridge those gaps for now and in the future yeah well i think that one of the most exciting things that can happen is taking advantage of the fact that um the continent is mobile first right i think that we consume content on you know in africa on mobile networks. And so I'm happy to see that there are mobile companies that are sort of thinking about how they will get in the distribution game. But I actually think also a lot about completely disrupting that model because distribution is the name of the game when you're talking about wealth creation. And, you know, going back to, you know, I guess like the 80s and early 90s when Nollywood is getting started and people were going to like, you know, getting those tapes on their VHS tapes and they were selling them out the car and the markets, right? Where it was much, much, um, you know, sort of guerrilla style distribution models. I, I feel like we don't yet know what content distribution is going to look like and the technology is going so fast, you know, just look at the disruptions that came out of COVID, right? We don't know what it's going to look like, but what I feel that the characteristics should be like is much more broad-based ownership, much more inclusive ownership, um, much more equity so that you can 
own, have much more ownership over your distribution. And so I know that there are people that are working on, you know, Web3 and they're working on NFTs and they're sort of thinking about how all of these innovations are going to come in and, and change the way the distribution is done. I and, and I will admit that this is not my level of area of expertise right now, but I'm just a, a student of it like everyone else and saying that I think as we are shaping what the African content industry is going to look like, we should bring our own values of community, broad-based ownership, and resist copying and pasting models that have been exploitative. And there are probably going to be many, many ways to do it. But I would just say, let's think about that. We know that what we have does not work for most content creators. Take note that we have been, there's been a WGA Writers Guild of America strike, SAG After Strike, the Writers Guild strike just ended. So I just, I want us to think expansively about how we build a new, better system, not just for Africa, but really for the world. There is, I believe, a model that can be African-led and built that will make content creation much more healthy, lucrative for people of African descent all around the world, and then that other people can learn from what we've created and adopt that. So when you think about the movie industry, for example, but more so even music and other creative endeavors, we usually, well, the audience might be misconstrued to think that it's the big actor, the big producer, and can be close eyes to the entire crew, mammoth resources of people that are needed to make that happen. Are you also thinking about how, for example, we can help refine and train and support writers so that that would eventually lead to a great pool of movie writers that are based on the continent that can influence how TVs are written, etc.? Do you want to elaborate on such? Yeah, I mean, it's exactly right. You need great writers, <laughs> just like you need great, um, you know, you need great producers, you need great directors, but you also need great business people, and you need great tech, you know, tech people who are going to do the sound and the engineers and the editors. And what's beautiful about the creative ecosystem is that it takes so many different kinds of skills. You need the tailors who are going to be costume designers. You need the carpenters that are going to build your sets. And then you need, you know, the lawyers and business people and the managers and the agents. And you need all of these different people that are coming together in an industry that they have passion for. And so I think from a strategic point of view, why I think this is, again, such a strategic place for governments to focus on is because of the employment potential. If you think about the fact that creative economy is the second largest employer in Nigeria, right, after agriculture, you know, and that is with very little, if any, government intervention. You know that there is a lot more that can be unlocked across the continent. Um, and so we do think about that. We have a lot of different ideas for how we're going to, you know, sort of enable and build that ecosystem of writers that we work with and producers and directors and, and content creators. 
But it is the skills building part is frankly the core of it when you're, th- especially when you're thinking about it from a policy point of view. I know I absolutely agree with you. And the next part of what you are trying to do is to make sure that you can co-create and enable partnerships that will bring events, conversations that obviously will enable the progress that we seek. And that, that's kind of policy work, maybe. But I'm excited to hear about that side of your work too. And tell us about some of the exciting events that you have. There has been some flavor in New York. During the UN General Assembly on the margins of it, we produced a concert and a conversations and concert event. Flavor was our concert headliner. And, you know, we were so proud of that event because it really is the epitome of what we're trying to do with our events, which is, again, put a little medicine in the applesauce, right? Right. We bring people together in New York, in Harlem, which is just such a symbolic uh, community for the, for the Black community. It's a, it's a symbolic place. The Apollo Theater in and of itself is an iconic theater with historical significance to the Black community, having you know, discovered all sorts of you know, stars from Lauren Hill and her and Ella Fitzgerald and all of these greats that have performed there. And then doing it during the UN General Assembly because we wanted to make sure that Africa and this conversation about narrative shifting was centered when the world is gathered because Africa is the largest voting bloc and the largest part of the United Nations system. And we've just now are getting African leadership in some of these major uh, global institutions, you know, just now adding Africa, uh, African Union um, leadership to to the G20, for example, right? So I think what we wanted to achieve was to, you know, force the conversation and also to bring different audiences together. We didn't want to just have a summit. There are a lot of people, I mean, there are a lot of people who do summits and they do a great job and, you know, they should do that. Um, but we didn't want to just have a concert where everybody came out and had a good time and didn't really take a minute to reflect. So we were really proud of the the bridge, Africa's Next Narrative at the Apollo. Um, we just wrapped that up. We're getting ready to do our second event at Sundance. We were at Sundance last year. We want to do a Sundance event again this year. And again, that whole, the entire point of doing Sundance is to get more African writers, producers, creators, directors to be familiar with Sundance, but also to be familiar with themselves. And, you know, at the end of the day, Sundance is a really important film festival that is, you know, success there can lead to success in the film world. And so it is really bringing Africa to that space. But we also want to look at what we can do on the continent. Is there a way for us to bring American producers and directors and, you know, and and that ecosystem to the continent? And so that's the way that we're starting to think about that. How do we curate these events in a way that they advance our mission of narrative change, create opportunity for other folks in the ecosystem and also show people a good time. So yeah, we're, we're really excited. Um, entertaining people, educating people and bringing people together is really something that we feel passionate about doing and it supports our overall mission. The insight I get from that is global exposure, local community, like to make sure that our creators, writers, filmmakers get the global exposure at events like Sundance, which you should be there if you're making movies in any part of the world, but also create a local community and ecosystem 
that can thrive on its own. I think that's really, really brilliant. Um, if you look at the different multi-stakeholder conversations that you're having right now, I like the phrase that you use that you're forcing the conversation, which is most difficult to pull along in your perspective now. What's more difficult to pull between what and what? I mean, the different stakeholders that you have right now, which of them are not getting on the table or which of them is more difficult to pull along to enable this transition of next narrative? To enable the conversation about next narrative, it's actually not so difficult because I think we're all aware that Africa needs a new narrative. But what is can be a little difficult is centering it around a conversation around the creative industries. Because if you think about all those different pieces, right? So government, people in government don't typically, you know, understand creativity, the creative process, what it takes to make, a, you know, an album or makes a film or even produce a concert, right? And the people who are creatives, they don't understand what government does <laughs> and why it's relevant necessarily, or if they understand what government does, they don't understand how to speak to those people or kind of, it's almost like they're all speaking different languages. And then the finance people, I think that the, the partners that we've had, particularly Afrexan Bank and Bank of Industry, they understand it, but they still learn to speak the language of the creatives, right? Like, so it's more, uh, getting all of these different players to acknowledge that, yes, they have the same end goal, but how they're going to get there and how they're going to um, uh, connect to each other uh, is is really the challenge. And so it can be just as simple as understanding what is the Recording Academy doing on on music and how is the Grammys, just that information, I think, is, is helpful and powerful. So I would say the challenge isn't so much getting people to understand that the next narrative is needed, it's really more understanding the, the how. How do we actually make that happen? So the Recording Academy, you bring that up. Recording Academy recently outdoored a new category that is going to be focused on African music. Um, I want to have your thoughts on that because you're in the space. You invited the head of the CEO of the Recording Academy to your event. How does that push forward African music? Do you feel like the minor category would kind of subjugate Africa's music into some small category, or you feel really it's an outdooring of African music to the world and it shows the next step that we're taking to making our music recognized globally? Yeah, so, you know, big shout out to the Recording Academy and Harvey Mason Jr., who's a CEO, came to the bridge, the event that we had at the Apollo. And we really wanted to have the Recording Academy there because having unveiled this new Best African Artist, Best African Performance category, we wanted to introduce to our audience and have them know what the Recording Academy has in terms of its plans. Diversity issues at the Recording Academy are are what they are across all institutions. And I think the acknowledgement that, oh, something really special is happening in African music and we need to have much more outreach and build more relationships with the African ecosystem, musicians, directors, so that we can make better decisions about 
you know, music that's winning this really, really important recognition, I think is a, is a real huge thing for the Academy to be doing. And so we wanted that information to be out there. And so he did an amazing job of um, talking about their ambitions for Africa and how they want to engage. And I wouldn't be surprised to see much more robust Africa presence uh, and also Recording Academy presence on the continent. We'll have to see definitely more Grammys coming to Africa. Well, now we know we'll get one Grammy all the time. The question then is who is going to win it? You know, it's a battle for the Twitter fans to do. It's not really mine. The fans of African musicians can get very combative when it comes to Grammys. But I feel we've talked about this narrative and we've exhausted a lot of themes around it, but we have not really given a shout out to your co-founder who is Emmanuel Duma. I would like to ask you how you met Emmanuel and how you feel your goals aligned to enable the founding of this great initiative. So, yes, yeah, so big shout out to Emmanuel Uduma, who's my co-founder and partner. We, um, he has been producing uh, television and film projects in Nigeria and across the continent for a really long time. And, and most notably, the work that he did on MTV Sugar, which is a television show that um, Paramount, Viacom, and many other partners came in to um, produce that was about young people navigating challenges around sexual health and family planning. And we met in Nigeria and bonded over the fact that we could use and replicate that model where you're telling a really socially impactful story and you're doing it with a process that is disciplined so that you get certain outcomes. And so we thought we can extend that into all kinds of areas. And so the thematic areas that we focus on, which are namely democracy and governance, health, climate, gender, race, and inclusive economic growth, that you can tell stories like this for young people and do it in a way that's gonna be entertaining. Um, and that uses that same rigor so that you have excellent storytelling and engaging storytelling and entertainment, but you're also socially impactful. Uh, and so that's, uh, you know, what we're, what we're doing. He's back in Nigeria now because he's producing um, a film and a television series, uh, as well as having come out, pop popped into the States to help produce the event at the Apollo. So definitely the hardest working man in Lagos and uh, super, super lucky and, and to have him leading the creative side of our, of our business. Just you mentioned the, the thematic area. So I was wondering, like, how was the process with which you defined the thematic areas and how you came up with them? Yeah, I think, um, well, you know, I'll confess that a lot of it just came from the work that I knew, right? So as a policymaker, these were the issues that I have worked on in one form or the other. But I also think that there are some of the most relevant issues around, you know, in the world, the challenges that we're facing. So whether that be around climate, democracy and governance, gender and race and how people, you know, how those ideas are shifting, inclusive economic growth, what kind of economic system, how are we as young, particularly young people thinking and rethinking how our global economic system works and how it works and who it works for. Um, and so because of, because we thought these were really big global challenge areas, we wanted to create content that saw Africans as leading the solutions to them. Um, so that's really what it came out of. And, and it's, you know, 
a combination of areas that we know something about and also really big problems that we believe need to have African representation in terms of how the world is going to deal with and, and see these issues resolved. So we had Danny Dama on the Change Africa podcast. And one of the things that he had done before was enable Idris Elba's initial entry for Beast of Nation, which was a film that was shot in Ghana that enabled a lot of young actors to prosper and kick off their career, but also was really, at least in Ghana the first time, a big Hollywood actor had collaborated with local actors in this thrilling performance. I would be very excited to see the next movie, not that there are not enough or as good Denzel Washingtons, but a Denzel Washington next to one of our favorite film stars would be a great thing. Talking about borrowing and bringing emerging cultures across the diaspora and on the continent, is there possibilities that we're going to see, hopefully, of next narrative and now in such collaborations to access? Yeah, that's that's the dream, right? Um, you know, we definitely see ourselves as telling these stories for the diaspora. I'm part of the diaspora, right? <laughs> so when we're thinking about even the stories that we're telling now, there's always some intersection because that's just, you know, my lived experience, more and more Emmanuel's experience is that, you know, we have a foot in the United States, we have a foot on the continent or a foot in Europe or, you know, um, the Caribbean, South America, the diaspora is so big and we're all still connected to the continent. So I would love for there to be collaboration between some of the greats like, you know, Viola Davis and, you know, Denzel Washington and even up and coming, up and coming diaspora, diaspora and actors and actresses and, you know, the counterparts on the continent, because I really, I really feel that the power that could come out of those collaborations is that we rebuild and reshape content for us. And in that way, you know, impact the way that this business operates for us anywhere in the world. Right. And so that's definitely an ambition of ours. We'd love to have, and just, you know, the actors and producers and directors, but also the musicians that work on it, right? So, and that's already happening in, in music is that you have collaboration between, you know, Burna Boy or, or Davido, and they're working with American. No, Rima, Rima and Selena Gomez, which really broke all the workers, you know. So definitely, I think that intersection enables new barriers to be reached. And so, yeah, to be broken. And I, I, I absolutely look forward to that. I am praying for that to happen. To conclude the conversation, what does the future look like if Nas narrative succeeds? Already is doing a lot of work, but what is the best case scenario in the future where you've enabled all of these collaborations? What does that future look like for you? And what are your concluding words for people like me who are looking for that blockbuster, Denzel Washington, and um, some African favorite actor collaborating? I mean, I think the dream for us is to be able to just make really impactful content that people, that shifts the way that people think about themselves, that shifts the way that people think about Africa and people of African descent. We would love to see, you know, the, a kind of show like The Wire that forever changes the way that people think about, you know, Baltimore or the way, you know, the, the way they thought about 
the war on drugs, right? To make that kind of really, really powerful content and be able to have done it on the continent with Africans leading, I think that is ultimately the dream and to be recognized, right? You know, whether that means, you know, having these uh, this work be commercially viable so that you have more and more investors coming into it, to be recognized critically, whether that means winning certain awards, Oscars, Emmys, you know, all, all the awards, right? But really to have successfully built an industry that is not dependent on any one or two or three entities or institutions, but is thriving and then becomes a model for others in the world, right? Just the way that we look and go like, oh, look, look at what Hollywood is doing. Look at what Bollywood, look at what the Koreans are doing. I want people to be able to say, oh, look at what the Nigerians and the Ghanaians and the Botswanans and the Mozambicans and the Ethiopians. Like I want people to really hold our industries in that same high regard as they should be. And of course we want to inspire others to be generous with their networks and capital and ecosystem and to adopt the same mindset. Because I think oftentimes the entertainment industry, whether you're talking about music or film or TV, there's a scarcity mindset of, oh, there can only be one. There can only be one or two. There are only one or two power players and there's got to be these gatekeepers that are in anything. And I think that that has kept so much of our ability to thrive back. And I think if we can model, you know, be the change you want to see, like if we can model that actually you can do this in a collaborative way, you can do this, you can build and be successful by really creating opportunities for other people and having a platform for other people to shine, that that will help us reshape this industry and make it be, you know, a source of pride for the diaspora. Um, so those are all of the goals that we have. Um, you know, that's what success looks like for me is for us to have really been able to create, um, to not only create the work, you know, our own work that has that impact, but to then have enabled many, many, many other African and black creators to have been able to do the same things. Well, we look forward to that future and certainly it will be a great one. I'm very inspired by the mission of Next Narrative Africa. It was truly inspiring to speak to you, Akuna Cook, who is a CEO of Next Narrative Africa. And Next Narrative is doing a great work to make sure that we can retell Africa's story through film, TV, entertainment. And we've spent this past hour talking about how we're going to make that leap. And I think everyone would agree with me that it's been truly educational and I am, I am inspired. I'm happy to see the progress of the organization and how it evolves and how we can get these collaborations to Africa and how we can create these intersections, how we can strengthen the ecosystem and make sure that Africa's story is not always taught about in the remits of war and corruption. And, you know, we can have another person who looks up to the continent and say, I watched this movie and it really changed how I think about the continent. Thank you very much, Akuna. Thank you, Isaac. Thank you, Daniel. The Change Africa podcast is produced by Isaac Abwa and Daniel Murky. It is executive produced by Tim Yastratus. The theme music and digital production is by Daniel Quaid and graphic design by Andrew Ayi. 
This podcast is a production of Nexa Media. Thank you.